and then nine times out of 10, the biggest thing is being, being able to put out there what you've accomplished, being able to know your value and raising your hand for opportunity. I do tease women. I'm going to say this, Sean, I tease women a lot that we have this mindset and I would love to know where it came from is we have to have a hundred percent, everything kind of locked down before we proceed to the next. Welcome to It's Settled, the Amitros podcast. Each episode, we're going to dig into the humanity in workers' compensation and insurance claims, exploring the stories of injured people and those who support them, as well as the good work professionals are doing in the industry. And now, I invite you to join me, Sean Dean, General Counsel at Amitros and the host of It's Settled. Now, It's Settled. Let's get on to the episode. I'm very happy to welcome Danielle Lisenby. From MedRisk here, Danielle, so great to have you uh, on the podcast today. Well, good morning. Excited to be here, Sean. Uh, and it's it's always interesting how I meet folks um, as future guests on the podcast. And I had Deb Livingston from Reemployability on, and we had a wonderful conversation about the current state of workers' compensation and um how it seems to be moving towards a um, uh, an injured worker centric and focused um, industry, which we both agreed it was a great thing. And but we also identified some problems around that area. Um, and we got done with recording the podcast. We haven't. It was weeks out from even issuing the episode, and she shot me a note, and uh, Deb shot me a note. Uh, with a quote from you. And that's how I came into contact with you. And I guess just as a way to sort of kick things off before we get into your background, I want to read this quote. Um, and I hope it's okay that I'm, I'm reading this quote attributed to you. I think it's fantastic. Um, it says, we don't do a good job as an industry explaining the impact we can have on someone who's probably at one of their worst moments in their life because they had a major injury at work. And that was so profound to me. She sent it to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to this person. I need to meet Danielle. I don't know her. Um, but um, then I started going on on your your LinkedIn and I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is a an incredible leader and, and has a lot to say uh, and we have to have her on. So we're so appreciative that you could be here today. Um, but it does seem like the industry is moving towards um, an injured worker focused um, paradigm. However, it seems like there's an aspect, and, and this is just me talking out loud from my vantage point. It seems like there is, in some regards, um, a missed opportunity for empathy. And that's exactly what you hit on there. You hit on the condition uh, of someone who has gone through an injury, arguably one of the most difficult times in their life. Things are up in the air for them. They're not only physically hurt, but they have a family that they're trying to support. They're worried about getting back to work. They're worried about getting healthy. They're concerned about the status of their job. And um, I know probably to you, it, it's just a, a, a quote because it's a philosophy you hold, but it was really impactful for me to see someone 
uh, who is at the C-suite level in the workers' compensation industry recognizing this and admitting that there is a problem. Um, so I guess that's a lot to open up with. <laughs> but I guess I guess before is, we get into it, your background. But it isn't. It is, it is, but it isn't, right? To me, it's, yeah. it's fairly simple. And I, um, what I would share with you is I, I think part of it is for the fact that coming up through the ranks on the medical management side, you know, you, you do come and look at things through a, diff, a little bit different lens, right? Because you are dealing more with the medical component, the nursing side. So they get to look at it through a totally different lens than I would say on the claim side, which is looking at it probably more technical oriented. I have this technical process and I think that's where the evolution is coming from, right? It all started out very claims oriented, very technical oriented, very state regulatory oriented. You got to check all these boxes, make sure all these things happen. And then you got to look at the mighty dollar and make sure you're taking care of the mighty dollar, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. It's part of the equation. And then you start to see this slow evolution on the medical side where indemnity used to be the greater cost versus medical. And now you see this pivotal shift occur. And I do believe as the companies that got better and better at the medical side, they realized that there's a healthy component that plays into it, which is the empathy card, right? If you truly are focused on the injured worker and how you can help them through all those things you rattled off, right? Whether it's what's going on with them physically what's or, ment- or mentally or what's going on within their family dynamic, and you look at them as a holistic person, you still get a great outcome. You still get a great outcome. So you still comply with all those technical things we just rattle off. But but now you're focusing on the human element. And I do think as an, as an industry, we're getting so much better at that. Not quite there, but I think we're so much better at it than we were, let's say, 10, 20 years ago. What do you think caused the shift? Agree with you 100%. Because when I used to go to comp conferences, it would be like sessions on cost containment, um, lowering, keeping reserves down. Right. Um, trying to settle cases quicker, um, uh, uh, ways to reduce um, medical spend. It was all on the technical side relative to costs. And now you go to sessions and it's just like sessions on meeting the injured worker where they're at, right. empathy and claims handling, customer right. service skills. Like what was the, I can't quite pinpoint it, but there was definitely a shift. And I, I guess kind of what was the impetus behind that, do you think? Yeah, I, listen, I would love to try to pinpoint exactly what happens, but I do think it goes back to, as an organization, as we all became more heavily involved on the nursing side of things and the case management side of things, I do believe that um, almost like spiral effect occurred. Again, it probably started out very technical around it, around around the medical, very technical, but you know, nurses are naturally cha- trained to have this empathetic side to them. And they naturally brought that to the table. And I think all of us as organizations, when we saw that filter into the equation and we saw, you know, our field nurses or telephonic nurses, especially like our field nurses sitting alongside the family and uh-huh. helping them understand what's going on and be there for the injured worker and explain to them the, di- the dynamic of workers' comp and what they're going through and what the doctor's saying to them. I think that's where the ultimate evolution started to to occur. And as leaders, I think we all started waking up going, there's something here. There's something really good here that, again, helps the overall process, helps the person. So you can you can get attack things at multiple angles. You can still look at things from helping reduce loss costs, but you can also, you know, bring the human element to the table. 
that's what that's that's my personal opinion. I think that's where it helped. Now I probably had a little bit of a an advantage sitting in a seat where that's the that's the avenue I came up the ranks through. So I got to see it happen almost naturally. Well, let's. I, I agree with you. Um, I do think we can have our cake and eat it too in that regard. Um, and I think that's a nice segue because I I was coming in hot in the beginning. So let's talk about <laughs> your your upbringing and comp and where you came from. I mean, you have an incredible uh, resume. I'm always curious how you got your first job in workers' compensation because you you you've held some some really incredible leadership positions. But like myself, it was it was a Bob Ross happy accident, um, and uh, that's how a lot of folks are finding uh, have found comp who, who are, are current leaders in the industry. It's the paradigm's changed a little bit. There's been a shift in. Um, better recruitment efforts and positioning workers' compensation as a career um, with a mission to help people. But Danielle, let's let's kind of dig into your background and how you you found comp. Okay, so how I'm, it happy, found you. I'm happy accident as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, engineering by education and schooling. Did that for a few years out of school. Uh, my family had moved to Florida. I had stayed back in Illinois and said, why am I staying back in Illinois? Because it's not very warm here. Uh, even though I love Illinois, it's one of my favorite places. Good people, good food. But, you know, family was drifting to Florida. So I decided to drift down there as well um, and had to find a job. So this will date me a little bit, but started looking through newspaper ads. And I had at least some team leader supervisory experience under my belt from my prior job. And so I answered an ad. I literally answered an ad for an operations supervisor position, went through the interview process. And the gentleman that chose me said, listen, I need your process mind because we just had been acquired by Kemper Insurance. We do the bill review and case management for them in two states. And the objective is to roll out 48 more states. Um, which is a pretty large objective. So I need people here from a manpower perspective, but also process, because we need to make sure we're improving the process, which if you think about bill review back in those days, Sean, you probably do, you know, we had a million data entry people, you know, putting in every little piece and part um, and really trying to run the gamut of how the nurse fits into the equation. So that's how I landed Um, in the industry. It's called medical audit services, but it's acquired by Kemper Insurance, rolled out 58 states and just came up through the ranks through that channel Primarily in bill review, ultimately case management came became uh, responsible for overall medical management, which then led to being CEO of Broadspire, which rolled off of, of Kemper. So, so yeah, I got reeled in, happy accident, got reeled in, thought, ah, I'll be there five years, right, and figure it out. And here I am almost 30 years later still in the industry. And so what's kept you here? What's kept you the in people, Listen, it's really the people. Um the people, the fact that you can truly make a difference, the truly that you can make an impact. Um, As an engineer, I feel there's always opportunity um, to improve and do things better. My dad was an HR executive, so I feel like I have my my yin and yang are good. My dad was an HR executive, so it's about the people. My mom was in technology. She was a developer, so that ties well with my engineering and, and being able to pull those two together. I just quickly learned that it was a great industry that I can enjoy the folks I worked with and what I did and drive value, you know, really bring value to the table. Hence, you probably see me kind of preach on on LinkedIn to the next generation that there's so much opportunity here. I, I admit we don't do a good job with that, of letting people know what the opportunity is, but 
you know, if we could get that out there to uh, other generations and folks that want something like that, it's there. It's so there. It seems to be, to me, a common thread of, of um, folks who've been in the workers' compensation industry, who've, who've risen the ranks and who've stayed. The common thread is always people. That's what they always say. It's what immediately came out of your mouth. That's why I started smiling. Um, but I would, I would um, submit for everyone's consideration that workers' compensation or claims in general, but work comp specifically, is still an industry that probably isn't one that that a kid in the fifth grade is going. I want to be in work comp. Um, I didn't even know it existed in fifth grade. To be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, to me, um, even on the services side. Metros deals with with helping um, injured workers post settlement. It's still for me the big draw to to come here and to do what I do every day is to help uh, people who, like you say, are probably one of their worst moments in their life because of their work injury. And to me, there's just nothing more rewarding than helping individuals and and by extension their families get through that period of time. So so what are some of the things that that we can do to better um, promote that in in the industry because as as you know it's been the big sort of talk at work comp conferences and in blog articles is that we're losing incredibly experienced folks to attrition because we're they're retiring uh, and yep. people are, are phasing out and I think initially the um, sort of the answer was technology like we're going to bring in uh, systems in place that are that are going to replace. Uh, humans to be able to process claims and those related functions. And we're realizing really quick that you need humans in there yep. because you lose all the empathy, that empathy component that seems to be so critical. So I, yep. I'm throwing a lot at you there, but I guess, what are your thoughts on some of yeah, that? Listen, at the end of the day, does technology help? Absolutely. But it's never going to be the end all be all. Um, my, my always um, overarching comment is that you're going to have folks that you're <clears throat> going to service that are very tech savvy and you, you probably do need to have a tech component. And I talk about it as like my sons, you know, they're younger, they're in their twenties. Do they want to talk to a human nine times out of 10? Probably not. So you better have the apps and the technology that support their angle. But then, you know, you have my parents, you know, that are, you know, seventies and eighties, they still want that white glove service and or are not tech savvy. And so you better have that in play, right? So you need to have the right people in play to service those folks. And then you probably have us that are stuck in, in the middle that depending on the day will determine yeah. which way we go, right? If it's probably ease, we might go the technology, right? If we want something specific, we may go more the white glove. So I think you have to be very agile and have both angles of the equation. So that's, that's probably that component, but with that, that attracts talent, right? So that leads to the talent equation. You can start attracting folks that fit into those different buckets that can really help the industry <clears throat> evolve from a talent perspective. Where I think we don't do a good job. Here's what I think we did. And I'm guilty of this too. So we're like, oh, talent, talent, talent. So we started going to the schools and really talking to the, the kids that were in young people that were in the risk management programs. My opinion, being on the claim side or services side, it was a failure, a little bit of a failure on our point, right? Because mm -hmm. most of those folks, if they're going in risk management, they're very heavily underwriting and brokerage focused, which is great, right? But there's a whole piece on the service side that's missing. I think one young student said to me, Danielle, we're lucky if we do 
a chapter on claims. We don't really know much about the services side. We know we learn more, go underwriting, go brokerage, which is great for that side of the industry. But there's this whole other big side of the industry that's claims and services. So to me, that was a little bit of a failure on our point. You're not going to probably change their minds based on what they've already gone through education-wise. So we had to really take a step back and shift and thought, okay, what are the folks that are really good at this kind of stuff? Um, and it's probably more the folks that might be in business or criminal justice or liberal arts that maybe either don't know, um, but are willing to learn something new and take their various skills to come into play. So I think that's a play for us to get out there. But the other play is to your mind, it might not be a fifth grader because they might not be able to connect the dots, but a high schooler is starting to think about that. High schoolers, it's no different than we're losing sight of the you know, professionals we need for plumbing, electrical, yeah. electrical business, and making sure that those the early career folks or the kids in high schools understand that it's okay to go in those things. Those things are great and great, you know, financially for them as well. So I just think we need to do a better job collectively as an industry, put away our brands and our competition, and work collectively as an industry and really start speaking to young adults, young people about what we have to offer. I, I it's marketing. That, it's social media. They're yeah. in the social media. It's in the it's social media. It's getting in front of them in the schools. It's the whole package. If you were to tell a high schooler or a young college student um, about opportunities in insurance or claims or workers' compensation, I, I think that there would be an immediate knee-jerk <clears throat> perception, um, misperception of someone sitting in a dingy old room with filing cabinets and fluorescent lights at a desk, maybe even like a typewriter or a fax machine. Exactly. And, and I think it would, it would conjure up uh, those images immediately. And I, I'm not sure why the, uh, the claims world is so far behind in advancing its public image and persona in in pop culture. I mean it's it's the way it is. Any 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 movie, any TV show involving claims, yep. it's that it's those images yep. and I think it really turns off uh younger talent. They go I don't want anything to do with that. I want to work with people and what I want to say is you're, you're going to work with people and you're going to help people. Yep, yep. Wouldn't you wouldn't it be great? Uh, I don't know if you've been to the Complade um conference, but wouldn't it be great to take a group of high schoolers to that and have them listen to the stories? I just got back. I was just yeah. there in Huntington Beach. Yeah. It was amazing. I and I I was coming to this conversation thinking about Complade. Imagine if they sat there and saw Victor, who was the fire captain, who who led his team um and and went through those injuries or Amanda and Dave Repture yep. or any of those injured workers to to bring them there. I think that's a fantastic idea. Yep. And now let's think about kids chance, right? Where we have kids speak how we as an industry that helped them with their schooling because of what happened to their parents and the impact on the family and how this industry has stepped up to the plate and really helped them as a family and then they could connect peer to peer. Um, that would be pretty powerful too. I've sat on the Kids Chance Board of Massachusetts for the last three years. And it's it's folks like you and I who are preaching to each other, but this is the reason I'm doing the podcast is so they can hear us talk about these things to a wider audience. But but you're right. And and you said something too that I think is um you, you said it like three or four times, and and I think it's um an amazing attribute from 
from a leader, but you said, you know, we failed or there's been a failure here. And um, I think having that level of humility is rare in leadership, but I think it's absolutely critical because if it doesn't exist, in my opinion, then things don't progress and get better. And I'll tell you where I've failed. You know, I've, I've kind of been in a bubble where I talk to people who were like-minded and I think it sometimes can be an echo chamber to where we're all doing good stuff and saying the right words, but it doesn't get beyond our sphere exactly of influence. And then no one else can pick up the torch and sort of run with it. So I think, I mean, you said one thing that I think is amazing. Imagine having a group of high schoolers sitting in the audience at Comp Laude during an injured worker session. That's yep. huge. Like, I, I think that's an actual takeaway that we can we, propose. We got to go hit up Yvonne and tell her. we. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and, and even getting um, maybe business leaders who aren't in the comp area or, or folks from other industries taking a look at Kids Chance and seeing that mission just to spread the word um, wider because there's, there's a total misperception of yeah, workers' I compensation. Agree. I was flying back from, um, from, from uh, Southern California back to Boston just a couple days ago, and I there was a movie on. It was it was Anchorman Two with Will Ferrell, and there was a um, some dialogue going on with one of uh, Will Ferrell's colleagues that talked about, oh, I was I faked a work injury and I got a million dollar settlement and I started this restaurant. And I'm I'm sure it got some laughs, but I sat there looking at it going, oh my gosh, there's so much per- pervasive misperception about workers' compensation in pop culture. And we've talked about it, even in cartoons. Yep. Um, yep. I was talking with Kristen Chavez about a SpongeBob episode where, you know, Krusty Krab, the Mr. Krabs faked this work injury. And, uh-huh. and I think it's either there's an injured worker who's, alleged to trying to be milking the system, or there's an unreasonable employer who's trying to mess over a injured worker. And, and you have this um, pop culture adversarial um, misperception set up and that bleeds into everything. So it's, it's total, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. It's, and back to us, that's where we as an industry have not done a good job of either squelching those or to your point, putting out there all the good that we do and all the good parts and, and what our purpose and our value is. We haven't done a good job with it. We just, we just haven't. And so if we could really figure that out and come together, and it may be as simple as, as like we just said, bring a group of high school students to Comp Laude. let them hear the stories, right? Let them bring that back to their world. Um, I'm so excited about the generations that are coming up because they are very community focused, right? They really want to give back. They really want to have an impact. So this is a perfect opportunity. They have the right mindset, right? Of giving back. So let's reel them in, into our world. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it seems to be thankfully important to the younger generation. Um, It seems to be important to, uh, to them in their work to find meaning and to have an impact in other people's lives. And to me, it's the perfect industry to um, exercise that caring muscle. Uh, but we just don't do a good job at promoting that, yep. um, that aspect. It's going to take people like you who have the analytical side 
as well as the people side and to to sort of bring those two aspects together. I'm not that creative. Um, <laughs> I, I never would have, it would never would have dawned on me. Oh my God. It's the simplest thing in the world. Bring, bring younger people to see this stuff uh, firsthand so they can experience it. Yep. Cause if they don't see it, it's just us talking to each other. I agree with you. I agree. Yeah, with you. Listen, lived- I, I think Complot is a wonderful, wonderful event. And I remember the first time I ever went was just, I think I, I cried a lot, but it was a great event. Um, and it was humbling event, right? To say, wow, we are in this really fantastic industry that really is helping people. Um, so I just think it's a great platform for us to cue off of. But to your point, it's all of us in the room. Yeah. It's all of us in the room. Will you talk a little bit about your career trajectory? Um, you know, how how you came from, you know, happy accident, <laughs> landing in comp. And and really coming up the ranks as a as a as a a leader um, is is president and CEO um, when you were on the TPA side. Um, and how 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 did that happen? Sure. W- was it an aspiration of yours, or did, was it just kind of a natural progression? Sure, sure. Um, well, I would say first starting out <clears throat> being with a company that was growing pretty fast, which was Kemper National Services, part of Kemper, and being part of that journey was fantastic because it did afford a lot of opportunity and, and working, again, working with great people. Um, I would say my quasi-mentor at the time was probably more my dad because I remember him when I got my first promotion, I think, to a director level, and he says, all right, let's have this heart-to-heart right now, sweetheart. Um, <clears throat> the reason why management is needed is because if all the workers did what they're supposed to do, you're not needed. So don't think just because you got a promotion, you're going to sit back in that very comfy chair with your feet up and eat bonbons because that's not what it's all about. Now, you really need to figure out a way to make sure you're listening to your people, um, making sure they're, they're meeting their needs, but also pushing them to be even better. And it was interesting because I'm in my late 20s going, oh, is it really that hard? <laughs> I really need to do all this stuff, but he was just wonderful of putting in my ear to look at things from a different angle, which I do think that helps right now. They call it EQ, right? I don't think they probably called it EQ back then, but it was really him saying, um, you don't necessarily have to focus on being smart and all this other point. You have to bring the whole package together. So you, you know, you really got to focus on improving things, but you got to be there for the people. Cause at the end of the day, you're in the service industry. So it is all about the people and what your clients are going to remember. And I preach this today is probably the worst employee you have, right? Because mm. it's really easy to always remember the complaints and the bad stuff. Very rarely do you get remembered for the good stuff. So if you make sure that worst employee is at the best or are the best, you have a great service organization. So he really pushed me in that realm, which I think also helped inspire me from an aspiration perspective to want to grow as a leader and really be better and better and better. So that kind of jumps me forward to, I remember um, having a conversation with the CEO at the time who was Ken Martino. He says, all right, let's sit down and let's, let's plan out what you want to do. And I looked at him and I said, well, I want to be you one day. And he's like, perfect. Let's plan that out. Um, I've been waiting for you to say that. Uh, So, you know, we sat down and we had a conversation because I was always so nervous about not knowing claims. Because, again, I came up the ranks from the medical management side. So I probably knew enough to be dangerous, but not in the heart of claims. And even back then, it was still about claims. Um, And we 
we built out a plan and um, lo and behold, this couple year plan turned into a very short window because he decided to roll off and he went to the organization, said, she's my successor and here's why. And so him again being, um, I talk a lot about this on LinkedIn too, is having that supporter at the table. Right. He's picking kids chance too. I know that name very well. He is. He is. Yep. He is. But he, uh, yeah, he pushed me and, and I said, I don't know claims. He says, you don't know claims, you know, where you are smart is you make sure you have smart people around you. You know how to look at a process. You know how to take care of the people. You put all those three elements together and you've, you've got the winning formula. Um, and so that's, that's what led to me being president and CEO for almost nine years at Broadspire. And, you know, we took the organization from where it was at that time to where it, it became. And along the way, I learned that it's important to give back. And so that's been my focus is really to, to give back, especially for females, being the only female uh, global executive at the time sitting at the table. I realized that it's, you know, got to pave the pathway and give back. So that's kind of how it all all came, to, came together, and I'm very blessed to have had the opportunity. To that end, um, and it's where th- this also. Uh, I'm so glad that that um, Deborah led led me to you because we just towards the end of our podcast this, uh, discussions were discussed. We're talking about uh, the fact that claims has historically been a male dominated um, area of industry, uh, specifically workers' compensation. Uh, so w- what what were some of the things, lessons learned, things that you've seen changed, hopefully for the better, um, across your extensive career coming up as a woman? And w- what um, what is some advice that you can give to younger women coming up through the ranks in, in claims and work comp? Sure. Listen, I have to give a shout out to male colleagues because I really feel there's quite a few of them out there that saw that there needed to be, you know, a blend of diversity from all aspects and probably even put their necks out, out there being, like you said, traditionally maybe male dominated or white male dominated and really put their necks out there to support, you know, women and other, other races, other genders, whatever, whatever, you know, to support everything all around um, and really push forward, which would lead to someone like me having that seat at the table, but also we're great at coaching to say, Hey, now that you have this seat at the table, we always remember to pay it forward and, you know, pull other folks um, like yourself and others up through the ranks. So it's almost like we're talking about creating a cadence or, or movement around some of the other things we're talking about. It's that same thing. It's creating a cadence and movement around some of the things. So I think that is a big piece of it. Think of risk and insurance, creating the women to watch. You know, if you think back to the day, that didn't exist, right? So that opened up. Look at all these women across the insurance industry that are, are people to really have on your radar that are trajectorying forward, as well as bringing other women with them or other races with them up through the ranks. Um, still a lot of work to do there, but I do think the movement is there and, and is moving forward. And to me, that's a lesson learned. It's paying it forward. It's, yeah. it's speaking out and being available to other women and other races that have questions of, what can I do different? How did, what helped you? What things worked? What things did you fail at? And you would be like, Ooh, not sure I do that again. Or did I learn a great lesson? So it wasn't that bad of a failure because I learned a great lesson. And, and then nine times out of 10, the biggest thing is 
being being able to put out there what you've accomplished, being able to know your value and raising your hand for opportunity. I do tease women. I'm going to say this, Sean. I tease women a lot that we have this mindset and I would love to know where it came from is we have to have 100% everything kind of locked down before we proceed to the next. Most women, right? You know, versus, and I even look at it between my daughter and my sons. If they're 40% ready, 60% ready, they'll take the leap of faith and jump. My daughter, nope, check, check. Got to make sure all those boxes are checked. Then she'll take the leap before. And I push her and say, what are you waiting for? You can learn along the way. It's okay that you don't have all the boxes checked. Talking about different gender differences, that's a big gender difference. So it's getting, I think, females comfortable with raising their hands earlier for opportunities. And and it sounds like going back in your career, you had uh, a mentor in Ken who said, you don't know claims. That's okay. You're going to get, you're going to figure it out. You'll figure it out. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science, Danielle. You can figure it out. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your career path from, um, you know, claims leadership to um, where you're at at MedRisk now and kind of what you do there. Sure. Sure. So um, I really thought I'd probably retire from a perspective of being on the claims side of the house. Um, But I had been the CEO for almost nine years and things were going really well. And I had gotten reached in by Ken and, and Mike Ryan. So there's a pattern there who said, you're not done yet. You got, you got somewhere in you. And, you know, I think you should try looking at things from a different angle, from a service perspective, and actually tap into some of the things you might have done in the past, which is on the medical side. And, you know, we're looking for strong leadership to really grow and evolve as an organization. So come on board and give it a shot. And so I did feel like I had a second chapter in me. And back to everything we were talking about in the beginning, Sean, I like to bring value to the table, right? I like to take things and figure out how to make them better. I like working with fantastic people. And MedRisk, had a fantastic and has a fantastic reputation around people. You mentioned MedRisk. And one of the first thing people said, oh, those people are great. They have great people. So that resonated with me 100%. So, yep. So came on over as president to dive in and learn more about MedRisk and um, where there's opportunity to improve um, and have been named CEO about three months ago now. Um, to really help us take us to the next generation, whether that's expanding services, that's improving how we operate and bringing the next generation to fold. And to me, here's where the greatest opportunity is. The average age at MedRisk is fairly young in comparison to my, my old world, right? And so to me, it's just like, ooh, this is a great opportunity to bring people in and show more what we do outside of MedRisk and bring them even more into the workers' comp opportunity. So it's almost like I've got a captive audience to make that happen. It's great. I mean, you, well, I'll say personally, you have a huge audience in me and I've um, been really impressed and have enjoyed your dialogue around leadership. Um, And I think you were well qualified to talk about it. And I'm glad that you do. Um, Because I think there's a a, a, certainly a lack of it from hearing from leaders in the claims uh, and workers compensation community. And I guess not to put you on the spot, I I would love for you to dig in for us to dig in a little bit about your philosophy on leadership, sort of lessons learned, advice that you can give to up and coming leaders to sort of exercise those chops and, um, and how you view 
leading teams of people. Right. Uh, so if, let's first start with how I view leading teams of people. It's truly, it is truly a team effort. And I don't use that loosely, but it does come across as loosely. Um, it's never one person. I know at the end of the day, there's always a person at, at the helm that if there needs to be, as I call it, pull the boss card and make the ultimate decision or ultimate accountability, of course there is. But if you can create a strong team environment where everybody is all in, it's very, very powerful. And it's powerful to the point where you can move an organization forward in an expeditious manner like nothing you've ever seen. And I'm sure you've seen that at Amitros, right? If you have the right leadership at the helm, the right team at the helm. And I'll go back to the Broad Spire days of when Ken passed that baton. And I had my dad chomping in my ear saying, listen, you know, it's all about how you bring the team together and the people, don't forget the people, don't forget the people. So took a step back and really took a look at who to have at that table because we had an opportunity and in a, in, in a hole to dig out of. More, more like I'm not going to say more likely. We did. We had a hole to dig out of. And so bringing those folks together and everybody being all, all in, and I hate to use sports analogies because some people are into sports, some people aren't. I am. But when you have a team that operates as a well-oiled machine, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And that's what occurred at Broadspire. It was an amazing team that forged that thing forward. So my, my advice there as a leader is... Put the ego aside, bring your team together, bring the right people at the table. Don't be afraid to have the smarter people around the table with you, um, or don't be afraid of having different opinions and skill sets around you. Having everyone that yeses you to death is not going to move the needle. You have to have varying opinions. You have to have the push-pull to ultimately get there. So as leaders, we've got to be comfortable with that, and that is a change. Because a lot of folks usually surround themselves. We're talking about like-minded people. It's a, it's a natural habit um, to do that. So that's from a leadership perspective. I would say folks early career are coming up through the ranks as leaders. It is about stepping outside of your comfort zone, right? So whether you find mentors, I would say find two people on your board of directors, mentors and supporters. Mentors are the ones you're going to have to listen to you and give you that advice and, and are probably the ones that are going to be always in your court no matter what happens. Um, supporters are going to be the ones that when you prove yourself and or speak up are the ones that are going to be at the table, have a seat at a table that are going to say, what about Danielle? I think Danielle would be great for that and push you forward outside of your comfort zone for other opportunities. And so create that board of directors that's got that well-rounded balance that's really going to help you as a leader as you forge forward. Um, so those would be my, my words of advice. And, you know, reach into people like yourself or like me and to say, hey, can I talk to you and get your opinion or thoughts for a while? Absolutely. That's what we're here for. What, what do you see the value of, um, I think I might know your answer, but I'm not sure. How do you perceive the value of mentorship? I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't have it. So um, I don't think it's the end all be all meaning. Can you still have a great career without it? Yeah, probably. But having that person that you can speak to when things are either challenging or going a certain way, or you want to do a certain thing, that's really going to be your confidant. That's going to help you through that guided journey. 
is invaluable. It's I don't know if you could put a price point on it. I, I know I couldn't. I don't think I would be here today if I didn't think about the mentors that crossed my path from as early as on in my career being my dad um, to the folks that even today that when I have a challenging moment, even in my, at my level, people are like, at your level, you pick up phone. Yes, I do. I did it today and said, all right, here's what I'm thinking. Just give me straight on what's your opinion when I say X, Y, Z. And they'll say, you're right. Or you know what? You're crazy. Take a step back. Why are you thinking that way? Get your list out or whatever the case may be, but they'll give you that guidance. It's invaluable, Sean. It's, it's priceless. I get this. I, I am continuing to get the sense that you, um, while you're incredibly experienced and knowledgeable in, in um, the realm of leadership and claims leadership, that you're incredibly humble <laughs> and you you also seem to be incredibly connected. So I imagine that when you were at the helm, you knew what was going on at the desk level and you always had your ear to the ground for your management team. And you said something, you said, um, uh, and I'm paraphrasing you, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but you said you need in leadership, you need to set your ego aside. And that seems to be really tough for a lot of leaders to do sort of understandably, like, like you indicated, you still need someone ultimately making a decision at the executive level or, or kind of nothing gets done, but to be able to set your ego aside and have those channels of communication open to be receptive to really understanding what's going on from a tactical level. Um, so you can make the decisions and provide the support to your team that they need seems to be really valuable. I guess I'm, I, I'm no, not sure if that's, that's yeah, how you you're operate. Par- you're paraphrasing correctly. I'm, I'm even going to get to tell you this is I remember the day that I met Dave North, right. And he became a mentor and people were like, but he's your, he was your biggest competitor. Of course he was. Yes, he was. But why not tap into a person that had already been there, done that? Now, is he going to tell me all his little secrets? Absolutely not. But why not have someone that's in it with you that knows it, that can speak to you and give you guidance because he's already, already done it? Why, why, why not? Yeah, at the end of the day, did we love to compete? Did we love to beat each other out? Absolutely, we did. But we were in the industry together for all the same reasons, you know, and it was to drive value, help our customers, help injured work. We were in there for all the same reasons. So why not have them have him as someone to talk to? Why not? Yeah, I I get the sense that we're such a small industry and community. Uh, Competition plays a big part in um, stifling collaboration. And, and, uh, I don't know why that is. It's I, I think um, um, having you know heart to heart talks around uh, where we need to go as an industry and how we can improve in no way um, prevents two entities from competing against each other. But exactly. it seems I mean communication largely gets shut off, other than you know really surface. Hey, how you doing at a conference? It's really yeah. sad. It is sad because there's enough business for all of us to be successful, right? And at the end of the day, we are going to compete. But to your point, we are a small industry and why not put our logos aside or brands aside and really all be, everyone be all in um, and make our industry even better. Whether it's around talent, and like there's common ground, whether it's around talent, right? Whether it's like improved process, whether it's like we talked about the injured worker, why not be all in? Why not? What do we got to lose? 
there's enough business. There's enough business for everyone. For everyone. Um, where, just to sort of kind of wrap things up, where do you see the industry going, and where do you where do you is where do you hope it goes within, let's say, the next decade? At the end of the day, I do think technology is going to play an important part. I do think it needs to play an important part. <clears throat> I think of here's my joke. I think of the days back in the claims days, like you said, file rooms, this like wall-to-wall files, right? Everything was paper. And I remember when we all started, you know, OCRing and digitizing all that. And you had the people at the desk level saying, oh, well, I need my file. What do you wait? Why are you taking my file away? Why are you taking my file away? You know, and then you, now you look today and if we reverse and said, oh, we're going back to paper files, yeah. they'd probably cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you crazy? So just look at something that simple, that evolution that needs to occur. So I do think technology plays an important part. I don't think it ever takes away from the fact that we're still a service industry. But back to my spectrum, I think as time evolves and the technology evolves, you have to have both. You have to have the technology that helps service things from a certain perspective, especially those that are very in tune to technology. I, I view these kids, they grow up almost with their iPhone in their hands. I have a grandson. I think he can work an iPad better than I could work an iPad now, right? And he's three. Um, but then you also have us and other folks in, in the generation scheme that, you know, still want, you know, white glove or service component or depending on the dynamic want that. So I think you have to be agile again, enough to be able to handle both. So technology will play an important part in making sure it plays a part in the right, in the right well. Um, so that's where I do think. I do think also 10 years from now, if I look 10 years back, 10 years report, I think we are becoming a, an industry that's better suited to focus on the right things, which is the injured worker. So I do think there'll be more evolution that occurs around that and the focus around mental health, well-being, all you know, well-rounded as organizations that will, again, lead to those strong outcomes, um, but have the right focus on the injured worker and helping them and helping their families. And I do think that can, we'll see the continued evolution about there. So bringing those two, two together will become an even stronger, more powerful industry than we, than we are today. And we'll always be there. I just feel like we'll always be there. I just think, you know, I try to tell that to young people too, is yeah, there's some probably uh, recession-proof type industries to go into healthcare, education, workers' comp. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to be around. You know, with with that, I, I, your voice is a very important one, uh, and it's been a, a privilege uh, to talk to you today. And I, I'd hope to um, maybe in a year or so have you back on. We'll see how things have changed and evolved. But um, I really appreciate uh, appreciated the conversation and uh, getting to know you. Well, thanks, Sean. I'm so honored that you you sought me out, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. And like we just talked about, hey, if we can spread the word and get people excited about things and doing things different, why not? Let's do it together. All right. It's settled. Thanks so much, Danielle. Appreciate you right. being on the podcast. Take care. You too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of It's Settled, the Amitros podcast. For more information and episodes, you can visit us at our website at amitros.com. That's A-M-E-T-R-O-S dot com. Or head over to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to sharing more stories of people overcoming their workplace accidents and bodily injury claims and those who are working hard to make a difference for them. So it's settled. We'll see you next time. <laughs>